Our Father, King of glory, we bless your name for who you are. We thank you because you are the one who feeds us. You are our great supply. When you said you were going to reward, you gave yourself. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, not every heart here will be attentive to your word and be receptive to that which you offer. No one here wants to live the same. Everyone wants to have more of a revelation of who you are. We ask in the name of Jesus that it shall be by your spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. 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 Praise the name of the living God. Praise the name of the living God. Um, I would like us, I know some of us are noticing and we are asking in ourselves, where is pastor? At this moment, me too, I'm asking that same question. Where is pastor? Our pastor is, as you, as you might know, he wears many hats. So, this week he's currently serving in a professional duty. Um, so let us keep him in prayers, even as he serves that function. But in our midst, we have someone who we can also call our daddy, but in truth, he's our grandpa. <laughs> so, grandpa, we honor you, sir. We also honor you, my grandma. God bless you. Amen. I honor the leadership of the church, too. God bless you, sirs and mas. Um, by the grace of God, um, I have been tasked to begin a series based on worship. As some of us are aware, this year is the year of true worship. The year of true worship. So this series is called The Act of Worship. The Act of Worship. And I'll be teaching today on the fear of God, the subtopic, the fear of God. Let's go straight into the word. Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 7. Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 to 7. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. 
Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? We see in this scripture that this is the first time worship is ever mentioned. The first time in the Bible where you see the word worship. And even while we see that this is the first time we hear the word worship mentioned, we never hear of Abraham taking a musical instrument. You don't hear them taking someone who was going to sing a special song. But they were going to worship. In scriptural interpretation, there is something called the law of first mention. The law of first mention. And what the law of first mention is this. Is that wherever you see a word used the first time, you apply that definition to that same word wherever it is mentioned. So it's called the law of first mention. We see here that Abraham says in verse 5 that he is going to worship. In verse 7, the boy says, I see the fire, I see the wood. Even there was the knife. In other words, something was going to happen on that mountain. And Isaac, being an inquisitive boy, said, Daddy, what is happening? Are we going to fight a battle? I see you have a knife. You have wood. I also see fire. What's going on? What are we going to do on that mountain? It's instructive to note, verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this. Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. In verse 1, we see God saying, Now it came about this time, after these things, that God was testing Abraham. He said he was testing Abraham. And then, in verse 5, we see Abraham calling that test worship. At about that time, God was testing Abraham. And then in verse 5, the first time the word worship is mentioned, he said that test, that examination he was going to carry out was worship. So what is worship? Worship is not a song. Turn to your neighbor and say, worship is not a song. Ah, no, 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 no. Let's open to John chapter 4, verse 21. So when you see pastor saying he's going to be director of music, and then we hear him sing, and we are wondering, pastor, what's happening? He has an understanding that it is not a song. So he doesn't care what anyone thinks. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. Don't let anyone intimidate you. Your worship is not greater than my worship. Turn to them and tell them that. 
Your worship is not greater than my worship. And also tell that person, tell them this, my worship is not greater than yours. Amen? <laughs> John chapter 4, <laughs> verse 21. Jesus encounters a woman at the well. And then he says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. <laughs> you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the knowing. <laughs> worship is all about knowing the person. Worship is all about knowledge. Worship is all about knowledge. Abraham had been given information. He was going to that mountain to prove out that which he had been told. And that was worship. When you are given information, you prove it out in your worship. That is why when we come, we start singing songs of adoration. Ah, Lord, you have conquered the grave. You are decreeing. You are joining, coming into agreement with God, what God has said. That is worship. Abraham had come into agreement with what God had said and that was worship. Because he knew that God had decreed that out of him all the nations will be blessed. So whether by force or by fire, we are going there to worship and we will return because all the nations will be blessed through me. And this is, as far as I know, this is the only one that has come out of me, Isaac. In verse 23, the later part of verse 23, it says the father seeks true worshippers. Not just worship, but true worshippers. He's looking for the person that will agree with him and believe in him and then prove him out. So who is a worshiper? A person who knows the Lord's plans and intentions and proves what they know when they are tested. And this is evidenced by the worshiper's faith. It's all about proving what God has said. Proving what God has said. The fathers of the faith, they all are to act out the plan of God. All of them. All of them. They were all tested. They were all tested. 
And this plan was called the gospel of God. Not to be confused with the gospel of Christ. The gospel of God, which was preached beforehand. Let's read Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. The scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So Abraham heard the gospel beforehand, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. All the nations will be blessed in you. If we were to open to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Romans chapter 1, from verses 1 to 4. Romans chapter 1, from verses 1 to 4. He says, Paul, a born servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. So the gospel of God was that his son would die. He would bear a son. And that son would die for the sins of the world. The gospel of Christ was that now I have died. There is salvation. The kingdom is here now. So we see in the scriptures that the prophets kept saying, there is a man coming. Someone is coming. And so you see the fathers proving it out. You see Abel sacrificing on the lamb on the uh, sacrificing a lamb on the altar. Christ a sacrifice. Noah built an ark, proving that he knew that that seed was coming. And that was Christ, our salvation. Abraham, offering Isaac on the altar, was Christ, our salvation and resurrection. Moses built the tabernacle, proving that the work of Christ is salvation. So they knew that gospel, and they preached it out. They proved it out. That's why you'd notice every time, every time, those people who knew the gospel of God, every time they offered a sacrifice, the next response was fire from heaven. The next response would be fire from heaven. They all preached it. And that is worship. Tell your neighbor, it's more than just a song. It's more than just a song. The song is an expression of worship. But it's more than just a song. You get to the point where you recognize that everything a worshiper does is an act of worship. Exalting God. So when a husband loves his wife, it's an act of worship. When a child is obedient to his parents, it's an act of worship. When a wife submits to her husband, it's an act of worship. <laughs> Everybody laughed. <laughs> Amen. So what is the fear of God? What is the fear of the Lord? You see, the fear of the Lord is just one of those attributes required from a true worshiper. But let's start with what the fear of the Lord is not. 
The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. It says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. So it's not about being afraid of God. And we'll see that. We'll read, we'll read some scripture about that. The second thing is this. The fear of the Lord does not have torment. Fear of the Lord does not have torment. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts, casts out fear. For fear has torment. And he that fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, don't let us get confused. We are talking about the fear of the Lord, and then we are saying there is no fear in love. God is not the author of confusion. He's not. And then, the final point is this. Tormenting fear really is an evidence of a spirit of slavery. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear. So we are not looking at a distant God that is unapproachable. He's our father. He has given birth to us. There is a relationship there. And when you agree with what he has spoken, with his written word, with the witness of the spirit on the inside, you are saying, Lord, I believe. And just that acknowledgement is worship, acceptable, pure, blameless before him. So what is the fear of the Lord? Let's open to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to be reading from verses 18 to 21. All the people, now, the backdrop of this is Moses had just received the Ten Commandments. And this is the response from the people, verse 18. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Now, hear what Moses says. Then Moses said to then then they said to Moses, sorry, speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But let God go, but let not God speak to us, or we will die. What we are seeing is too much. Jesus, this one is too much. Moses says to the people, do not be afraid. Being Afraid of God is not the fear of God. See, he says here, do not be afraid. But then you see a dilemma. He says, for God has come in order to test you. See that word again. And in order that the fear of him may remain with you. Do not be afraid of him. But he has come to test you to see whether the fear of him will remain in you. So that you may not sin. In other words, the first being not afraid is this. Don't look at what you are seeing, the flashes of light. 
Don't look at the circumstances. Don't be stressed. God's true nature is love. Do not be afraid. Look beyond this. He was saying, don't you understand? He brought you out of Egypt. How can you say, if he speaks to us, we will die? Someone who delivered you. Look beyond this. Come close. But no. Moses, you talk to us. We cannot endure what you endure. Moses told them, God is only testing you. What was this test? Do you believe the salvation power? Do you believe? Of course, they failed the test. They did. They stood at a distance. They stood at a distance. So why did the fear come? You see Moses' response. He says, he wants to test you to see whether the fear will remain in you so that you will not sin. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. Let's open to Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now please bear with me. Bear with me. I'm about to do something. Don't take it, don't take it hard. Now, this particular verse, Hebrew scholars agree that it is called something called synonymous parallelism. What that means is that both parts of this verse are saying the exact same thing. So when you see this, you are basically saying the fear of the Lord is understanding. The fear of the Lord is knowledge of the Holy One. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Understanding is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is the beginning of wisdom. Synonymous, that's the only reason why I use that word. Though. So I hope you were bad with me, right? Synonymous parallelism. So what does that mean? It means that what the fear of the Lord is, is knowing him. Those who know the Lord must fear him. And those who fear him know the Lord. That's why Daniel said, those that know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. He said, those who have his insight, who know him, they shall be like the stars shining bright. Why? There is a spiritual law that says this, that what you see is what you become. So if you see him, the one who is light, you will shine and reflect that which is in him. You will see him. You will become that which is in the mirror. You will see him. To know him is to fear him. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is a requirement for knowing him. It is knowing him. It causes us to depart from evil, from sin, from iniquity. Job chapter 28 verse 8. 
Job chapter 28, verse 8, says this. It says, unto man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. You see the, the synergy of the scriptures. It always decrees the same thing, the agreement. Even though Job wrote this to about 2,500 years before the first five books of the scripture, he agrees. He agrees. And lastly, it leads us to reverently, respectfully, and cautiously guard what God has given. Now, this is evidenced by meekness and humility. That's why Moses could boldly be called the meekest man on earth at his time. Let's open to Exodus chapter 3 verse 5. Exodus chapter 3 verse 5. <laughs> Moses sees the burning bush. He sees the burning bush. And then he approaches the burning bush. Then he sees an angel, and the angel starts to talk to him. He says, Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I don't know about you, but I've been in a bush before. In a small thicket, not even a bush. And I had my shoes on. And thorns were hitting my feet. Now imagine taking off your shoes in a bush. And you are instructed to do so. Why? Tread carefully. You are on holy. It tells him the reason. You are on holy ground. Respect where you are. Recognize what you are in the midst of. Have that understanding. You are on holy ground. And because Moses understood, he became the steward of the holy. He was the steward of the holy. Now, this was for someone who did not have all that in him. He only had that with him. We all seated here have a greater experience because all they prophesied was culminated in the coming of Christ and in the reception of Christ on the inside, which you and I have. We have become the steward of the holy, the carriers of heaven, because we have become the tabernacle of the presence of God, the living temple of God's grace. We have become that place that God dwells in, the house of God. The book of Revelation has says this. He says that, and his tabernacle will be with men forever. When God sought a house, he sought man. He said he does not dwell in buildings made with hands, but he dwells in the believer. The scriptures decree Christ in us, the hope of glory. Turn to your neighbor and say, it is Christ in us. It is Christ in us. It is Christ in us that is the hope of glory. Jesus, you are the steward of the holy. Do you understand? 
Do you understand? When unbelievers are seeking God, you are that answer. When they are seeking a solution and a need for desperate help, you are that message to them. Go ye into the world and make disciples of all men. Kaye Kadama. We have become stewards of the holy. But how do we treat it? This gift of heaven. Do we recognize what we have? Is it real to us? Do you carry him reverently? We are not separate from him. Oh. He said, he that is joined to the Lord, Hakurabasa, is one spirit with him. Meaning, we are commingled. We cannot be separated. If you are looking for the Lord, they find you. If they are looking for you, they find the Lord. Wherever he is, that is where you are. And wherever you are, that is where he is. So when unbelievers come into our midst, they sense an atmosphere that cannot be interpret interpreted with words. It cannot be formed. It cannot be explained. That is called the glory of God. And that is what beckons to those hearts. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. He's saying, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. Our Father, King of Glory, we honor you. Every time we have to spend in your presence is a delight. You, you satisfy like nothing else. You satisfy like nothing else. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. You are the kingdom. You are the righteousness. And our eyes will always be on you. Jesus. Thank you.